Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Friday, the 11th of December, 2020. And the 3rd of September, 2013, that was a long day for me and for my wife. It started at about 2 a.m. when uh, I was suddenly uh, awoken by a loud cry from my wife saying, my water just broke. Uh, See, we were expecting the birth of our first child and Holly was a couple days past her due date. And so we were kind of ready, but right there in the middle of the night, it was clear we were headed to the hospital. And so we made our way to the hospital there at that early hour of the morning and we got checked in and it was a long day mostly at first just of waiting, uh, of waiting for things to get going, for waiting for this to happen. And as the day got longer and longer, it turned in much more obviously for my wife than for myself, uh, a painful day. As she, as we even got towards uh, midnight, uh, started to feel really that the pangs of, of childbirth and, and the real intense pains of, of labor. And even with the help of modern medicine and all of that, you know, she was still, it was still intense and it was still painful. And, and it was a long day. They'd kind of kept saying, oh, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. But uh, now that the day was getting ready to come and go and, and it was approaching midnight and she was now in the parts of active labor and it was an intense scene, pain, pushing, tears, right? All kind exhaustion for her uh, as she dealt with this. And as midnight approached, I mean, it was a tough time for her. But around 1 a.m. on September 4th, uh, the, the sorrow that my wife was going through, the pain that she was experiencing, and me, obviously, you know, I, I was doing a lot to support her. So, you know, I was going through some things too. Okay, husbands, let's be real. Our wives are going through it when they're giving birth, not us, right? But but after that, all of that, at about one in the morning, our sorrow was turned to joy as we heard the cries of Hannah Ray Blakey, and we held her for the first time, and we saw her for the first time. And our our sorrow, there had been some tears of exhaustion that uh, had turned to tears of joy. And we were just so overwhelmed and excited with, with uh, what God had provided in the birth of our first child. Well, that illustration of childbirth is one that Jesus uses in our reading today as we look at John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. John 16, 16 through 24. And Jesus is explaining that he is going to be with them for a little longer and they're uh, then they're not going to see him, but then they will see him. And they're saying, well, what does that mean? And in verse 20, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And I think there, what he's trying to explain to them is he's about to be crucified. He has been with his disciples uh, frequently, uh, pretty much on a daily basis, 
for what appears to be the last three years. And now he's going to be taken from them and taken from them in an incredibly painful way. These disciples, they are going to watch their leader be crucified and they will have sorrow, but the world, you know, the religious leaders, they are going to rejoice. But that sorrow is going to be turned to joy because they're going to see him again soon. He he is going to rise from the dead. He is going to reveal himself to them and their sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And it's even described as joy that no one will take from them. That's an amazing thing. And obviously he is speaking to the disciples there, but I I want all of us to consider um, the joy that we should experience knowing that our savior is alive. Uh, now, we we don't experience the sorrow of watching him be crucified. We should experience sorrow for sin, even as we consider the crucifixion. That should bring a heaviness to our hearts. But obviously, we will never be able to, to share what it must have felt like for the disciples uh, to watch their master, to watch the Lord be nailed to a cross. Um, but I want us to share in the joy of, that they experience when they realize that Jesus is alive. Because we know that Jesus rose again, and now he has ascended to the Father. He has given us his spirit. Christians have reason to rejoice. Christians should have joy that no one can take from them. And where does that joy come from? It comes from knowing that Jesus is alive. And I think about that day, September 3rd, 2013, it was a long day, but but the result at the early hours of the next day was joy, right? Joy that we are still experiencing as we get to see our daughter grow up and mature. Um, But as we think about maybe this year, 2020, man, it's been a long year, has it not? Uh, Doesn't like February feel like ages ago? it's, it just feels like it's been so long. And, and there's been some a lot of frustration uh, and, and frustrating things happening in our world, sad things happening in our world this year. But that's where I want us to remember that even in the light of all that, there should be an underlying joy that Christians have, knowing that, hey, no matter what's going on in the world, Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to reign. And, and so our joy should never be completely snuffed out. Right? That doesn't mean we're not sorrowful over bad things that happen. That does not mean that there's never a time to grieve, but it does mean that there's an underlying joy. Um, remember even the fruit of the Spirit, right? What is the second fruit? You know, first, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. There should be a joy that Christians have. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And the basis for that joy is what Jesus has done. Now that joy should lead to confidence in something else. After what we've read in John 16, we pick it up in verse 23, where it says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. And there, I think the sense is, you know, Jesus won't be present anymore. They won't be saying, hey, Jesus, can you help me out with this? They'll be praying. And we see the pattern in scripture. Normally our prayers are are addressed to the Father in Jesus' name. And when we do that, it says, he will give it to you. And I want you to notice in John chapter 14, in John chapter 15, and now in John chapter 16, they've all had a statement that has that same feel to it. They've all had a statement encouraging his disciples to pray, to ask the Father, and he will give it to you. 
Now, I want to ask you, now that we've read through most of these three chapters, is that making a difference in your prayer life? And I think what we should see in our lives is there should be a joy and a confidence in the Christian life that cannot be taken away because we know that Jesus is alive. And even because he is alive, we know that our prayers to the father are being heard in the name of Jesus because he is at the father's right hand. He is interceding for us. And so we can have confidence. So I want you, as we consider John 16 today, to have joy, to have confidence in the Lord. And even as we think about prayer, we're reminded that the Psalms often are prayers, and we want to finish up Psalm 141. And yesterday we saw he's lifting up a prayer. There's the humility about it, that even though he's concerned about things going on in the world, he, he kind of starts with himself saying, God, set a guard over my mouth. Help me not to do any evil things. Uh, but now today we, we see him expressing some concern about um, those that, uh, that are doing evil deeds, right? Uh, compared to those that are being righteous. And in verse eight, he says, but my eyes are toward you, O Lord, my God. In you, I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. And so as we consider all of that, uh, that, that's a good reminder for us, even in a turbulent year, that we should be looking to God, that, that we should say, God, you're my refuge. You're the one that's not going to leave me defenseless. And we should be able to pray those prayers with confidence, knowing that those prayers are being heard and will be answered in Jesus's name. And that's a great thing for us to remember today. Now, let's get back to the story of the book of Hosea. And today, we don't really see much of that imagery of uh, Hosea being married to the prostitute and then uh, going even back again and redeeming her. Today, it's mostly focused on the nation of Israel, on the judgment that is coming for them. And so we see that uh, really through chapters 6 through 10. It's mostly a message of this is your problem, this is what you are doing wrong, and there will be punishment because of it. But we do see in the midst of this some calls for repentance. And that's something I want you to notice even in scripture as we see God uh, declaring judgment, it's usually accompanied with a call to repent and to change. Uh, right? I think the beginning of verse of chapter six is kind of interesting and there's debate about what, what it looks like, whether it's maybe fake repentance. I, I think more it's just words that God is wishing the people would say, come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us on the third day. Even see some imagery there that's fulfilled in the resurrection. He will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And then you kind of get to clearly, this is not what the people are really saying um, because they're continuing in their sin. Or in chapter 10, God again calls them. He's telling them what they have done. Uh, He's telling them that they have plowed iniquity and reaped injustice, but he calls for them in chapter 10, verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So even in these chapters of judgment, there are these calls to repentance. And even these calls kind of come with the promise that, hey, seek the Lord and he will come and and rain righteousness upon you. You know, as surely as the sun will rise, he will come. And so 
I think these are good things for us to remember because I'm hoping as you read the Bible, I hope as I read the Bible, we should be convicted about certain things. The, the, the scripture is going to call you and it's going to call me at times, even as believers, to repent, to change things. But verses like this should encourage us knowing, hey, when we turn away from sin, when we seek the Lord, he'll come, he, he'll be found. And, and that's an encouraging thing. And it should also encourage us to think about those that don't know the Lord and to continue to call them to repentance and, and really to realize even God, he's looking at this nation that is in sin, but he's still calling them. And you might look out at the culture and say, wow, this culture is messed up. Our, our, our nation is headed the wrong way. Well, we, we want to call people to repentance and we want to pray that God, we would see God work in, in a mighty, mighty way as people turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. We want to see that the showers, the, the rains that water the earth come really in a form of revival as people turn away from sin, that there would be healing that happens as a result of that, as people experience new life in Christ, that we would see a nation really transformed. That's something I think we should be praying for. Uh, finally, we look at Revelation chapter 13, and we're looking at the first half of it, uh, chapter or verses 1 through 10. And, and there's a lot of debate about the book of Revelation. Some people would hold that um, this a lot of the things in this book are, are, you know, very figurative and they describe things even that are kind of happening throughout history or maybe even more specifically things that happened during the first century, right? And, and that's where I think it's good for us to remember that there are God-fearing, gospel-preaching pastors and Christians that hold different perspectives on this and our unity is found in, in Christ and, and there will be some differing opinions on these things. I, I hold to a, a position that's known as more of a futurist interpretation of Revelation that we're, what we're reading here are things that are going to happen in the future. And so as we look here at chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and we see this beast, uh, this beast, uh, some even that kind of think of it as future, maybe think this is referring to a kingdom or probably more specifically to a person. And that we see a link here between what we saw in Daniel or what we see in other parts to a political leader that is going to come that usually Christians kind of refer to this figure as the Antichrist. And we see some things about him here, even this mortal wound that then is is healed. Um, possibly that means is he going to have something that maybe is a resurrection or is made to look like that, you know, to give him a messianic appeal to people. That's certainly a possibility. But one thing we see is he is going to, in verse seven, make war on the saints. And we see that Christians are, are going to suffer under his reign. And it ends with this word, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And one thing we learn about this time of tribulation is it will be an intense time for the people that God is redeeming out of this time. There will be some intense persecution. And I think when we even look ahead at that and think about what it'll be in that time, let's remember that that doesn't mean no persecution is going to come now until then. And that we should be inspired even by the example of these future saints to endure and have faith no matter what happens in our world right now. And we can have that endurance and we can have that faith with joy and confidence because we know our Savior is authentic. He really died. He really rose again. And that's where our confidence is based on. And we will continue to look to him. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. 
For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you.